As you know, we've completed our concentrated focus on defending the faith in preaching through 2 Peter and Jude, and now we turn our attention to our new annual theme of being members one of another. And in light of that, I want us to study through a Bible book. I don't, I can't even really find that I've preached much in it in really almost the last 29 years at all. And so if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of Philippians for a verse-by-verse exegetical study through this all-important New Testament-inspired and wonderful portion of Scripture. Yes, I'm going to bring Christmas messages, just not this morning or this evening, Uh, but I've got that one on the front burner that I just described, and uh, maybe even as early as next Sunday morning, uh, but definitely during this Christmas season. But today, the book of Philippians, if you'd make your way to chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Now, I want to pause just for a moment, parenthetically, uh, uh, make note of a particular phrase in there, and I didn't have it in my notes to share, but I talked about it in my Sunday school class with young single adults, and that is the value and the importance of the local church. You see, by virtue of being in Christ, we're in the universal church, Galatians 3.26, we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. We're not all the children of God. We're all the children of God who have faith in Christ, that is, who have actually received him. But uh, the New Testament really has precious little to say about the universal church, that is, the church at large, worldwide and throughout all time. But it has much to say about the local church. And in fact, if you'll take note in verse 1, it's to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, who have gathered together in a particular geographical location for the purpose of worship, edification, um, encouragement, fellowship, uh, the the breaking of bread and prayer uh, and, and church discipline and the rest that is laid out in the New Testament. What am I saying? Folks, the local church and intentional and deep involvement and integration into the life of the local church is the will of God for every saint. Amen. It's the will of God for every saint. And we are an expression of that. We're an example of that. The local church meeting together, those of us who are in Christ, and we are the ones who are called to follow him. So, You gathered together today, and those watching by way of internet, please do not let this church service, this worship service, this preaching time be your church. And now, of course, if you're providentially hindered, if you are uh, uh, on a sick bed or something along the line, then we thank the Lord for this type of technology and availability. But this is not your local church. Your local church is in your location. And I would argue that even if you are in a place such as North Korea, uh, such as Afghanistan, such as uh, any other number of places, Turkey and the like, where uh, the gospel uh, simply is suppressed, uh, in in fact outlawed, you can certainly gather together uh, and and huddle together uh, in uh, your, your back room and you can pray together and you can thank the Lord for his salvation and you can read the word of God to the degree that you have it. 
I can't even imagine there not being the possibility. Maybe there is of gathering as a local church. But you gather together with those of like kindred uh, faith and, and, and kindred spirit, of like precious faith. You gather together in your location, in your local setting. That's what they did in the city of Philippi. And that ought to be the norm for all believers. And God's people said it ought to be an overview of the book of Philippians. Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and Philemon, as you know, are called the prison epistles. That's because they were all written by the Apostle Paul nearly at the same time while he was under house arrest in Rome. And I've long held that the primary uh, primary focus of, of Colossians is the glory of Christ, the head of the body. The primary focus of Ephesians is the church, the corporate body, but the primary focus of Philippians is the individual Christian. Uh, Yes, of course, it deals with Christ. He's mentioned multiple times, over over 50 times in the book of Philippians. Yes, of course, it's dealing with the local church, uh, the corporate body, but as much as anywhere else, it is dealing with the individual member uh, in the body of Christ. That is, that individual and how you are doing in your spiritual life. And the the theme is uh, joy and rejoicing. I uh, mentioned some 20 times in this brief four-chapter book. And so in a very real sense, coming uh, out of a long focus on defending the faith and judgment uh, and heresy and, and all that in Second Peter and in Jude, we turn now to a feel-good book, if you will. If there was ever a feel-good book in the Word of God, it is the book of Philippians because uh, there's all kinds of gratefulness expressed. There's glory to God. Uh, There is joy that is uh, expressed and joy that is encouraged throughout the book of Philippians. In fact, commentator Robert Leitner wrote that the book might be called a thank you note to the saints in Philippi for their generous gifts to the Apostle Paul and to the missionary enterprise. So whatever the exact reason for the theme, the book of Philippians is about experiencing the joy of the Lord. In fact, when a child of God reads through Philippians, a smile ought to come to your heart, as it were, um, because in the 104 verses, Jesus is referenced by name or, or, or referred to 51 times, and fellowship among the saints and joy in the Lord is ringing throughout this book. In fact, uh, Robert Mounts, the commentator, wrote, of all Paul's epistles, Philippians is the most consistently positive and personal. So, who wrote the book of Philippians? Well, it says right from the very get-go, Paul, the very first word, is Paul and Timothy wrote, Paul wrote the book of Philippians. The church was founded at the beginning of his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16, and the letter then was written a few years later while Paul was under house arrest in Rome. You say, how do you know that? Well, chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, even it is right uh, for me to think this of you because I have you in my heart inasmuch as in my bonds. And in verse 13, he talks about in my bonds um, uh, and as well as in verse 16. So Philippians is written to enhance the individual believer in his or her walk in Christ, folks. And here's the key. 
no matter the circumstances. So if you are diagnosed with cancer or if you're given a clean bill of health as a child of God, if you got the raise coming up in 2023 or there's been a reduction in the workforce in 2023 or whatever is going on relationally, whatever is going on financially, whatever is going on politically in this world, in your life, in my life, as a believer, I am called to rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Again, I say, rejoice. That is the theme of the book of Philippians. Now, either that's pie in the sky in the sweet by and by, or that is biblical theology for the here and now. And I'm convinced by the authority of the Word of God that it is the latter. I am to be enjoying, not enduring, but enjoying my life in Christ moment by moment. You know, it's written to a local church, but the focus not so much on congregational life as it is on individual living. And yet, in the Word of God, it gives us everything that we need. There's a full diet. There's everything we need in the diet. Uh, there, uh, there are books primarily on the glory of God and on worship. Uh, the book of Psalms we studied um, in our, my Sunday school. I, I alluded to the book of Colossians, the glory of Christ. There's books on corporate living. First and second Timothy, Ephesians about that. But there's also books, there are also books which apply primarily to the individual and his or her walk with the Lord. Philippians is very much a part of that. And so the Bible is the quintessence, the, the, uh, the poster uh, example of cohesive unity in the midst of of comprehensive diversity. We have tremendous diversity here. We have all ages. We have both gender. And that's the only type of genders there are, two, by the way, parenthetically. Uh, amen. And uh, we, uh, we have nationalities and we have languages that vary right here in this congregation. So there is comprehensive diversity, but there is such cohesive unity. And why? It's because we have a kindred spirit. We look differently, we sound differently, we act differently, we have different tastes and styles and, and all the like, but that which is most important is the bedrock core. You know, I just told my, uh, my uh, new wife uh, this morning, I literally, I, didn't I say it this morning, dear? It was either this morning or last night, I can't remember uh, which, which it was, but I became attracted to her through the internet like the young cool people did. A few years ago, where we met online in, a, in one of those fancy coffee shop rooms online, a virtual room. Uh, I, did, I don't drink coffee, and I don't drink virtual coffee. But I, but I, was, I was in one of those rooms, and uh, uh, we bumped into one another, as it were. And uh, she didn't have a picture of herself, and I didn't have a picture of myself. But we had our testimony and who we are in Christ and the passion of our souls and really what motivated us in life. The driving, motivating thrust of life. It is Christ in me, a glorious hope that I have. And she had that. And I became attracted to her instantly in reading your biographical sketch, and I told her that again this morning, that uh, it was her character. It was who she is in Christ and what she, uh, what she the, the motivation of her soul that made all the difference. And then I said, as an afterthought, and the, pack, the package isn't bad either. 
those who have ears to hear, let him hear. Who wrote it? The Apostle Paul. When was it written? Acts 28.30 records that while Paul was in Rome, I think I have that verse. When Paul was in Rome, he taught two, uh, he, he dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him. In other words, yes, he was under house arrest, but he was able to have visitors and the like. And it took place, we know it took place through any number of means of, of uh, figuring it out, especially through the book of Acts, around 60 to 62 AD. Now, why that range? Why can't we know more precisely? Well, any number of reasons, but one of the reasons is that Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, those four New Testament books penned by the Apostle Paul while under house arrest in Rome, we don't know in which order any one of them was written. It's uncertain about the book order, and so we give that that space of time, 60 to 62 or so A.D. To whom was it written? Well, as I indicated, written to followers of Christ in the city of Philippi. And what a great beginning for this church at Philippi. You'll remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his company were on their second, they just started their second missionary journey, and Paul desired to go in a particular direction. I had my heart set to go here, but the Spirit of God would not let me. Now, we don't know the dynamic of how the Spirit of God changed his direction, but he did change his direction and sent him to Philippi. And in Acts 16 and verse 20, it speaks to this. It says, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony, and we were in that city certain days. Philippi was located, as you can see on the map, uh, about 10 miles inland, and it was a Roman province of Macedonia. That is, it was way up in here, way up in what is now northern Greece, and you see that it's inland. It's not exactly on the coast, but a ways up, uh, and in fact, there was a road that if you were to go up here north, it would travel down, a road from Rome traveled down through Philippi. So it was a strategic place. Uh, in fact, it was named uh, Philippi after, in 356 BC, the king of Macedonia was Philip II, who happened to be the father of Alexander the Great, who then immediately following that conquered the whole known world in, in record time, in, in just a short amount of time. Uh, it was named after Alexander the Great father. And it became a primary place for a military compound to the degree that the, the book on the beginnings of Christianity, the historical book, says the citizens enjoyed autonomous government, which is amazing. Basically, Rome did not hover over them. Immunity from taxes and treatment as if they lived in Italy. This was just a, basically a suburb of Rome, at least in the way that the Roman emperor viewed it. This is how important Philippi was. And the Apostle Paul would have known that. And of course, Spirit of God strategically said, no, you're not going to go there. I'm sending you to Philippi. That's where I want a church planted. Uh, And in fact, he went there. The Zondervan commentary wrote, Augustus (coughs) created the Roman colony of Philippi expressly for the purpose of making homes for his military veterans. And you know, uh, going back to that text in in Acts 
1620. Um, it was a part of Macedonia and a colony. Uh, that, that just adds even greater credibility to the inspiration and the authority of Scripture because it'd be easy to check uh, out the historical uh, records to, to determine, okay, uh, where was Philippi 2,000 years ago? What was the significance? And lost people, uh, atheists could tell you the very same thing. Again, giving even more uh, authenticity uh, to, not, not doesn't give more, but it reveals that the Word of God is in fact authentic. Commentator Thomas Constable wrote, the Via Ignatia, <clears throat> the main highway going from Rome toward the east, ran through Philippi and brought much commerce, many travelers to Philippi. The, the nearby Gangites, and I looked up the pronunciation of that, that is correct, river was another natural advantage to the city since it constituted another ancient thoroughfare. And so again, Paul is on the second missionary journey and uh, he was led of the Spirit of God to go to this place and set up and win people and establish a local church. So it's believed that Silas and Timothy and Luke were with Paul when they met Lydia in Acts 16, a Gentile businesswoman who had followed the teachings of the Old Testament prophets, and then God opened her heart and she was saved. Now you remember, Paul was then arrested for sharing the gospel, being a rebel rouser, as it were, put in the Philippian jail, and at midnight, the jail burst open because of an earthquake. The warden was going to commit suicide. Paul stopped him, and the warden called for a light. And my, did he receive more light than he could have ever imagined. Amen? And the Philippian jailer and his whole household came to know the Lord. It's thought then that Luke stayed in Philippi for a while, for quite a while, to disciple the new believers. Now, how do we know that Luke stayed in Philippi to disciple the new believers? Because Luke wrote what two books in the New Testament? The Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And in Acts, up until Acts, Acts chapter um, 17, Luke would use the editorial we, and we did this, and we did that. And then starting just after the planting of the church at Philippi, the winning of, the, of, of, of Lydia and the Philippian jailer and his household and winning other people of the Lord, Luke changes to they. They did this and they did that, which means it's believed that Luke stayed at Philippi and basically became the, uh, the uh, ex-officio pastor of the young church, the new church at Philippi. That's the introduction. The outline. The book of Philippians not nearly as easy to outline as other Pauline epistles because unlike other Pauline epistles, especially Romans uh, and Ephesians uh, and Colossians, it doesn't deal primarily with weighty doctrine. It's not dealing with much, much having to do with congregational uh, order or uh, instruction and, and, and the like, but it is dealing with personal, um, individual believer, and the freshness of that person's walk. Uh, so it's not primarily doctrinal, but it's primarily personal. Ergo, it doesn't outline quite as neatly as other books by the Apostle Paul. But the first third of chapter one deals with Paul's intercession for the Philippians. And if there's one thing that's certain about the Apostle Paul's heart, for believers, especially those that he won to the Lord, is that he prayed for them. What did he pray? Well, he prayed for spiritual power. He prayed for spiritual enlightenment so that they would grow 
in the Lord. In fact, in verse 9, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, all understanding of the things of God. And then in the middle portion of chapter 1, Paul was persecuted for the gospel. And really, verse 12 is the key. But uh, I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen and rather uh, have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. My the persecution I'm experiencing is because of the gospel. And folks, we said it during our year defending the faith. Um, persecution seems to be coming to the American church. Are you ready? Do you recognize it? Uh, uh, do you recognize that it could come? Any hands up? Recognize that it very well could. Come. It truly could come to you. And in fact. Ten years ago, if I'd been preaching this, I would, have, I would have said, in theory, yes, it certainly could come. That is, I could be actually hassled for believing the gospel and certainly for preaching the way that I do. Uh, even this morning, I could be, <clears throat> I, I thought back then, now I'm sure <clears throat> it will be, that will be the case. I, I pretty, I'm actually pretty sure uh, that, that as a believer, <clears throat> as a pastor, as a proclaimer of the inerrant word of God, I am going to suffer to some degree now. <clears throat> and I believe that much more fervently than I even did a decade ago. And I would say the same thing is the case for you. Well, as long as it is for the gospel's sake, then not to, not to uh, have a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of uh, bravado here, but let it come. Do y'all hear what I'm saying there? Uh, If it's going to come, let it come, as long as it's for the sake of biblical orthodoxy. God knows, and he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of me if it is for that sake. And it was with the Apostle Paul. Also, at the end of chapter 1, we see, because of the persecution, Paul's exhortation to remain steadfast, verses 27 through 30. In chapter 2, we see that Christ is the example. He's the example to follow. Paul knew that he was nothing in his own eyes, and whatever good he could do, whatever good that was in him, it was Christ in him. So follow him, always pointing the Philippians. Now, these are, gent- these are primarily Gentiles. These are not primarily folks who have an understanding of the Ten Commandments and of the law of Moses and, uh, and the holiness and the eternality of God and the sovereignty of God. They didn't have that as their backdrop primarily. So <clears throat> the Apostle Paul equipped them with understanding who Christ is. And then by virtue of knowing who he is and being rooted and grounded in that, he, he exhorts them in the middle of chapter 2 to live openly for him to live out loud folks our culture needs bible believers to say so amen to stand up and say so and maybe maybe i'm bolder or crazier or something in my older age but uh, uh, just uh, last night uh, kathy and i and the boys I me mean, we may have been the only bible believers in the place i don't know uh, opera companies aren't known to be orthodox in their theology typically uh but we wanted them to know that what you are singing matters. It is either to believe or it is not to believe, uh, to be believed. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Well, he does in my heart 
and I want him to in your heart as well. Amen? So let's communicate biblical orthodoxy to this world. And if we're going to, we must do so intentionally. It's not going to happen accidentally. It's not going to just kind of ooze out of me. I need to actually look for, be conscious of the opportunity to share the living Lord with the lost in our culture. And then at the end of chapter 2, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. That, that's, what it, that's what it's saying. It cost Paul. It cost Epaphroditus. Now, it might not cost you in persecution, but it's going to, whenever you give of yourself, of your time, your talents, your treasure, you don't have that back. You can't reclaim that. Uh, we, we've gathered today and we're spending this hour here. We can't retrieve that hour back and, and use it again selfishly. We've already given it. We're here to be equipped to worship corporately. Well, whatever it is that you give, it will cost. In fact, if you'll notice in chapter 2, in verse 30, because for the work of Christ he was near unto death, he didn't care about his own life to supply your lack of service toward me. In other words, you couldn't be here, so he was, and, and I couldn't be with you, and so he poured out his life. It will cost you. It may cost you financially. It may cost you in time. It may cost you in, in, uh, in persecution. But please make no mistake about it. Those who know and follow and love and live openly for Christ, there is a cost. Uh, in fact, you know what Jesus said? He said, count the cost. When you put your hand to the plow, don't look back. Uh, that, that life is done. That old man is dead. You have new life in him. So move forward in him for the glory of God. The book of Philippians tells us that. And it does address a measure of doctrine in chapter 3. Be alert to legalism. Now, Philippi was not a place riddled with it like were the churches in Galatia. Still, Paul told the Philippians, as he told everybody, he didn't tire of telling them that false teachers would be present. Um, human effort merits nothing, but we are heavenly citizens. And so he of course, if you're going to have joy in the Lord, you cannot be tied to legalism. Now, follow this. If my acceptance in the eyes of the Lord is based on my performance, how accepted am I going to feel at any given time? Not very, right? Can you appreciate anyone here walk perfectly, sinlessly? Every motive you ever had is pure? No. Well, you don't measure up then. That's right. He measured up. <laughs> Amen. He caused me to be accepted in the beloved. And so we need to understand that it truly is all about Christ and it's not about me. And in doing that, and I have that freedom in Christ, now I have security, which brings great joy to my heart. Which brings greater joy for the six-year-old first grader who goes off to school on the school bus and uh, uh, on his way home, I wonder if mommy and daddy sold the house and moved while I was gone. Or the six-year-old who says, mommy and daddy love me more, more than their own lives. I can't wait to see them. Do you appreciate the distinction? Either one's accepted, you're accepted or you're not. Either you're loved or you're not. And you can't be any more accepted or any more loved or any more forgiven than you already are in him. 
You're complete in him. Colossians 2.10. Well, that ought to bring joy to the heart and mind of a believer. So, be alert to that. First part of verse 4, or chapter 4. Because of that, walk in unity. Walk in unity. Look at chapter 4, if you would. We'll get to it in a few weeks in more detail. But chapter 4 says, stand fast, stay together, walk together. Verse 2, I beseech, I call Yodia and Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. uh, And then call some of the men to help square away their spat that they were having. How would it preach today if a 21st century American pastor publicly called out two middle-aged women by name from the pulpit and said, you two gals, knock it off. I know what you're up to. Everybody else knows what you're up to, and God knows what you're up to. Uh, and, and you deacons, you, you separate them, and then you talk straight with them. Wow. That is exactly what the Apostle Paul did to the, at the church of Philippi. Take no prisoners. <clears throat> Verses 4 through 9 tells us, even though the road is bumpy, there's joy in the journey. Well-known passage about what practical Christianity is all about. That is, follow him, trust him, commit your way unto him. He'll guard your heart. He's got this. And he'll see you through all the way into his presence. How can you do that? Contentment. Contentment is the key to how one does that. It's not complacency that is contentment, meaning God knows and I'm trusting him in the midst of my difficulty. Then, of course, the benediction as we see in verses 20 to 23. And that brings us to the why behind the book of Philippians, or maybe even the what. What is it that I am to gain uh, having studied this? Well, I think the thematic verse is chapter 1 and verse 21. If you look at chapter 1 and verse 21, here's the thematic verse. Here is, uh, is the big picture of the teaching of the book of Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, there's no losing. You can't lose. What does it mean to be more than a champion? Not that you win, but that you can't lose. He's written the script. He, he has your days numbered in front of you. He knows what's up. He sees the end from the beginning. And all he wants from me is trusting him, is holding on to him, is rejoicing in him, being content in him. And in doing that, I'm living. My life is Christ. And when he chooses to take me out, to bring me home, I'm benefited. Anyone have dear loved ones who've gone on before you or in the presence of the Lord? No one else but me. I think see a couple of hands. Dear loved ones who've gone on to heaven before you, they're doing just fine. Amen. Think about them right now. <laughs> they're doing just fine. And that is an infinite understatement. Amen. To die is gain. 
Kathy and I have discussed this subject more times than any two people have ever discussed it, I guess. This issue of death and dying. Uh, I've been loaded with it in my life. She's not experienced it. But I can't walk that via dolorosa with her. The way of suffering. Let me rephrase that. I can't walk that in place of her. I can absolutely walk that with her, right? And so whatever we're experiencing, let it be unto him, for him, by him, through him. And then if he takes me home because of that, because of that cancer, because of that injury, because of that whatever, that criminal activity that someone perpetrates against me, whatever it might be, to die is gain. You say, and you might be wondering, and I thought, it's easy to preach. This is easy preaching material. The rub is in living it. How do I actually live it, preacher? How do I rejoice in the Lord always? How do I truly say, to live is Christ, to die is better? How can I really say that and mean it? And not just be giving lip service. You've heard me say it many, many times. You must not fake it. F-A-K-E. You must faith it. F-A-I-T-H. You don't look at the command to love your wives, to honor your parents, to bring the first fruits of your increase, to whatever it might be that's the will of God. You must not look at that and say, okay, I guess I have to. After all, God's going to get me if I don't. I'll just go through the motions. I'll put on a happy face. Here I go. No, no, no. There definitely won't be any joy in that mudville. There's no power there. There's no anointing there. Amen? God's not on that. Lost people, pagans, can go through the motions. Anyone can put on a happy face in any situation. But when there's really the trial, as was the case, as Paul was writing, I mean, think about what was going on here. Paul won these people to the Lord, and he immediately gets put in prison. A bad place, not not house arrest. That happened later while he was writing to them. And yet he and Silas were singing, and singing so hard and so loud, like I like to do up here, that the prison door busted open. (laughs) Of course, God caused that. But he caused it in response to them rejoicing in him. And so you run at your situation, not by gutting it out, not by faking it, but by saying, Lord, your will will is clear in your word uh, for me. And this is what it is in this situation. I've been ripped off at work. I've been mistreated by my spouse. My, uh, My grandchildren caused me heartache. My neighbor uh, is irritating the fool out of me. And yet I know all the principles in your word of how I'm to be. Therefore, by your grace alone, Lord, and for your glory, 
here I go, honoring you. Anoint my ministry as I am running at you. By faith. And in doing that, I can truly say, my life is unto him. And if this costs me my life, I'm better off. I gain. Folks, either that is true or it is not. And if it's not true, we don't have a message to tell. But if it is true, and it is, we have a glorious story to tell to the nations that will turn their hearts to the right. Turn their hearts to the only one who can heal them, forgive them, secure for them a home in heaven. Lord, I'm thankful for your word, the glorious text that this book, brief book, four chapters of Philippians holds for us. Lord, would you open up the truths, the theological truths, the practical implications of this, your word, to our hearts and minds in these coming weeks and cause our hearts to truly rejoice in you and keep on rejoicing that we would be a people on this corner who would truly say and and believe and function that to live is Christ, to die is advantage for all who know you. Lord, do that work in our hearts and minds, our lives, even...